All right, it is May 3rd, uh, Derby Week in Kentucky, and you're back on another edition of Kentucky Politics Weekly. My host, Trey Watson, joined today wearing his oddly blue Red Sox hat, Jared Smith. To be fair, their regular hat is navy blue. This is their Patriot Day hat. It's baby blue, and it looks like a UCLA Bruins hat. But it's also dope, so I'm going to wear it. It was really odd. The the Red Sox team uniforms in uh, Eastern Little League this year are, are the baby blue. Are they really? Baby, like baby blue and yellow. In the, in the yellow? Yeah. Yeah, like, okay. It's, <laughs> it's really weird. So we went to Fenway, and everybody was wearing them in the crowd. So Sherman and I bought the hat. Because we were freezing cold and I mean, needed something. I mean, they're sharp. They're sharp looking, but it's they're not Red Sox. Like, well, but so I thought everybody in Boston knew this, right? So we go to uh, Logan Airport yesterday morning wearing the hats because Sherman and I are you know twins and ch- children, and everybody's like, "Where'd you get that hat? Where'd you like it? like we're in the American Airlines Club?" And everybody's like, "Where'd you get the hat? Where'd you get the hat?" And we're like, "At Fenway," and they're like, "We've never seen that. That's really cool." And I was like. Okay, everybody in the stands was wearing them. So now I think I have something special, so I'm just going to wear it every day. Um, well, you know. Maybe, or I may be hiding my bald spot. Who knows? I mean, that's kind of like going to a concert and buying a shirt of the band you're there to see and then putting it immediately on. It's kind of. Well, it was, it was cold. It was night game and we were losing <laughs> heat out of the head. Yeah, so. But point, point made, Trey. Point made. All right. <laughs> um, big show today. We get, like I said, it's Derby Week and the second half of the podcast. We're going to be talking to Gene McLean. From uh, the PressBoxLTS.com and uh, the Little Thoroughbred Society, uh, as, as we have, what well, this is the fourth, God, I've been doing this podcast for four years now. This there is the fourth go. year we'll talk to Gene for, uh, for Derby Preview. We'll have a bunch of questions for him. Um, but let's get to the news first. Well, first we need to tell the listeners, Abby is not here, yes. so the odds of Trey and I getting in trouble have just increased dramatically. Yes, uh, and, and since Abby is not here to correct her own mistake, which is why I think that she, she skipped the podcast, <laughs> she's embarrassed. Uh, we do need to make a correction. Last week, Abby incorrectly stated that Kevin Bradshaw had endorsed Kelly Kraft. He is, in fact, a, a, a prominent surrogate for Daniel Cameron. Uh, so apologies, uh, apologies, Representative Bratcher. Uh, you know, Abby it was an honest mistake, uh, and then she fixed it, and she will help fix your Twitter handle as well. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so let's let's get to uh, to politics. Big news of the week so far is uh, KET debate. It was Monday night, um, and before we start any yeah. of the content, let's uh, big kudos to Renee Shaw. Yeah, uh, first Pro. of all, is, Pro. you know. We have complained multiple times in the podcast that none of these quote-unquote debates have been debates. They've been forums. This is the first debate, and having Eric Dieters up there makes it a little bit more difficult to control, and Renee uh, performed admirably in trying to corral that, that fiasco. Yeah, she pulled off a minor miracle, uh, but uh, I'm glad Renee was able to. I mean, Renee gave us the most thought-provoking and I know the timing's a little different. It's closer to the election, but it was one of the best debates forums well, she, of, the, of the cycle. She came out of the box firing, and there was she none, did. there was none of what we've complained about, Jared, which is which is hey, let's ask everybody their position on abortion, and they all said the same <laughs> yeah. thing. And you know, she came with individualized questions yep. for every candidate, and and kind of understood the fact that if you're watching, you probably already know that all these candidates share similar positions on a lot of these topics. She she kind of drilled down to where there were differences, and and. And where voters might have questions about the backgrounds or histories of some of these folks, and, and kind of went to those uh, those spaces. You know, one thing I did find interesting, Jared, and I didn't really, it didn't really kick in mentally for me until at the very end when they when it was done and they had the kind of zoom out shot where they show everybody at their tables. You know, at the very beginning of the debate, Renee kind of went above and beyond what you normally hear from from moderators on like the rules, the rules and expect, expectations of decorum. It's like no touching. Other candidates like stay in your seat, like 
And then when they, when they zoom out, so you know, it's, it's, I know what you're talking about. It's, yeah. it's two, so it's two tables. You know, Renee's at the circular table, and there's, uh-huh. and there's two desks. And you had uh, Kelly Craft, Ryan Corals, and, and Alan Keck at the uh, at the stage right table. And then stage left, you had Daniel Cameron kind of right up against the middle, where he was kind of close to to, to uh, yeah, at to, the far end of his table. And then, yeah. and then a solid five, five, six feet away. I mean, I've been at those tables lots of times. They're probably eh, 10, 12 feet long tables. A solid five to... I was going to say eight, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a solid five to seven feet away from Daniel. Well outside of, of swipe length is, <laughs> was uh, was Eric Dieters. Like, he was sitting at the kids' so table. So was Cameron so scared of Dieters, he scooted all the way to the edge? I don't know. I, I mean, I would assume, you know, usually they put those chairs there, like the production group puts them there, and yeah. you don't move them. So yeah. I, I'm assuming the crew decided that Dieters needed to be off on, the, on an island unto himself. I, 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 just the visuals of that as they zoomed out were hilarious. Uh, they were practicing COVID uh, precautions on that go. side of the table. Well, yeah. I mean, one one person that I can guarantee is not uh, vaccinated. So. <laughs> well, yeah, one person thinks <laughs> one person thinks it's a hoax, and it's not Daniel. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the debate it got a little catty at times. Yeah, but Dieter's. I mean. He backed up what he was talking about. He came and threw bombs. I yep. mean, he's insane and should never be near an elected office. No. <laughs> but, I mean, he did what he said he was going to do. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I appreciate Renee going after him on the, uh, so you're a disbarred lawyer. How are you, like, actually helping these people? <laughs> yeah. Um, and she hit Cameron on his, I'm I'm not yep. going to be a one-turn mate, G. Right, uh, right, at, right at the gate, first which question. Is, which is a fair question, I think. And, and when I'm shocked at that in company where else, I'm shocked it hasn't, I mean, there's video of him saying this at Fancy Farm. Well, there's I, also, I mean, there's also an entire convention of magistrates and uh, county judges and commissioners. Yeah. They heard him say this. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm shocked that at the very least the Fancy Farm video isn't being used in, a, in an ad somewhere. Like, uh, it will be in the general if Cameron makes it, for oh, sure. Well, I don't know. Can Andy Bashir really lay claim to that one? I don't know. I mean, he's, Stranger he, things have happened. He was, he, was, he was aspiring governor once as well. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he didn't tell the whole room he was going to be a two-term governor. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I say, he told the whole state of fancy farm that he was going to be two-term attorney I mean, general. Two-term attorney general. Daniel. Andy or Daniel? Daniel. Daniel. Oh, okay, I was talking about Andy. See? Oh. Now we're getting so confused. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Um, you know, there, it got catty and it got... It got interesting. I don't know how many truly newsy moments came out of it. You know, you thought that maybe Corals might have made some news, not in the right way, because he kind of had a little bit of an Allison Grimes moment when asked if if Biden won the election. Um, however, if you notice, it wasn't in a lot of the articles like you would expect it to be. That's because af- afterwards in the press gaggles, he cleaned it up and said, "No, Joe Biden definitely won." And and and. I think Sanka's tweet said, thank you for giving me the chance to clear that up. <laughs> yeah, but the ad's going to be what he said. If, yeah. if, if, if Ryan gets through, the yeah. ad will be what he said. Yeah. But, you know, he, he did clean it up, so at least stayed out of most of the articles. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think that situation was one where uh, Ryan has clearly been coached to, when, when asked that question, um, pivot to 23, say, I know that Trump won Kentucky, our elections are safe and secure, but I'm focused on the 2023 elections, and... Uh, you know, Renee just kind of kept coming back to it over and over again. And I think Ryan, Ryan and Brett Guthrie, two of my favorite elected officials in Kentucky, two incredibly nice people, uh, but they both kind of had the same affliction, which, and I'm sure you know a couple of Democrats that had the same thing, that when presented with the opportunity, will always take the, the, the path that just in their mind, they, 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 they are so hesitant to say anything that might potentially make someone not like them. They want to be liked so badly, like they, they just sometimes a, a, a choice comes to have to say one thing or the other and make a choice. And 
it kind of it kind of cripples them. I think Ryan, the combination of being over prepared for that, over coached for that for that question, and then not wanting to say anything that might potentially cause anyone some, anywhere out there to not like him, it kind of he kind of got paralyzed in the moment with the cameras there, and and yeah, he cleaned it up afterwards. But you know, some, especially if you're, when you're on TV, sometimes. Yeah, yeah I don't think that's gonna hurt him in the, in no, the primary. But primary. if he gets if he gets through, then I think it you know maybe something. But yeah. you know I don't uh, you know I don't think so. Two, two my two things: one, Alan Keck was ready for prime time. Yep, uh, I was very I was impressed by that. Uh, number two, you know I know that you and I both trained candidates for debates like this, and I know that Kraft was probably told ignore Dieters the entire night. You know ignore ignore him the entire night. Take on t- attack Daniel, right? Every time you're attacked, turn and attack Daniel, right? And so she, I think, did as best as she could have done in that spot. I know she ended up talking back to him, which she should have, you know. And I know she ended up engaging with him a lot more than probably her handlers wanted her to. But I thought she handled Dieters the best you possibly could for the, for Dieters' first time. Now you know what he's like, so you can prepare if I'll, there's future ones. I'll say this, too. I think – Allowing him to attack unresponded for a while and then kind of coming back over top over top of him towards the end. I, I think that it presented if I was a more casual viewer watching it, especially if I was a female voter, which Kelly, according to all the polls, is struggling a little bit with, I think that that, that performance may help her with some female voters because she was the she was the woman getting attacked by the gruff, angry, angry man. Yep. And she kind of, and she let it go on long enough to where it, it it didn't appear as if she was caddy coming back. It was the, you know, I had enough and I and I you know, uh, taking all that I can stand. Yeah, that's and I it. Can't stand no more moment. Yeah. And then she came back. I I think that waiting to attack, you know, taking taking incoming fire and then coming back at the very end, I think made her look like a, a you know a strong powerful woman, not a not a caddy power seeking woman. You know that that I. I I, I tend to believe that that might play with some women voters who are on the fence as to whether or not to support her as the only woman in the race. Yeah, I really wish there was a public poll. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see what, where the, that where that race stands right uh, now, just that snapshot. I was talking with a reporter earlier today, and I said, well, why don't, why don't you guys do it? He said, yeah, I want to keep my job. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I do think that Dieters clearly, in my mind, believes that Cameron is going to win. And he was cozying up to Cameron a lot. I, I think he carried some water, attacking Kelly and defending Daniel multiple times. Oh my gosh, I'm just thinking about a Cameron Dieters ticket, and my head's starting to spin. Oh, that would be. I mean, that might be what's going. But, he, but he's thinking about. But I, you know, I, I think there were multiple times there where Dieters could have gone after the both of them. Mm-hmm. He went after Quarles a little bit as well. He kind of left Keck alone. He went after Ryan. He went after Kelly. But he he largely defended Daniel multiple times. So, you know, I'm wondering if Dieters doesn't believe that Daniel's going to win this thing and he either wants to be a cabinet position or, you know, a running mate. Uh, but, you know, I thought that dynamic was interesting. Well, as lieutenant governor, he can probably do the least damage to the state. I mean, lieutenant governor, he could literally do no damage to the state because the lieutenant governor does nothing. Well, now, uh, I believe the current lieutenant governor is a cabinet secretary. But that's well, because yeah, the current but, governor... But you were, she was appointed cabinet secretary. Didn't right, right. with the job. Yeah. Uh, Alan Keck <laughs> thinks that debate uh, should have happened a month earlier, right? Oh, uh, yeah, at the very least. Yeah. I, I, well, at the same time, though, if this debate was a month earlier, nobody would have been, been watching it. I mean, it would have... Well, let's pretend that everybody's watching it. Yeah. I mean, Keck's going to run out of room here, obviously, but... Oh, I don't think he ever had room to start, but... Well, yeah, but... What's next for him? Uh, well, you know, there's a very 
a stately but elderly gentleman sitting in the congressional seat where he lives. I think that's an option. I think there's- we've been waiting for Hal and Mitch to leave office since we started our careers. In politics. <laughs> I have a bald spot now. How 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 took office uh, less than a year after I was, or no, a little bit more than a year after I was born? So, uh, you know, I, I I think that that's a, that's the seat he can look at, and then you know. If, if a Republican wins, there's cabinet posts. And at the worst case scenario, guess what? He just got reelected mayor. He's got three years, so he's got to run again. So, yeah, that's that's the nice thing for, for these guys that are in other other elected offices about the Kentucky uh, statewide elections is, you know, you got you got time. You, you, can, you, so, you, don't, you don't have to give up whatever seat you're in to, to do it. Just devil's advocate, uh, let's say uh, Kraft wins. What do Cameron and Quarles do next year? Because um, Kraft has wise. Are we yep. assuming they're going to be cabinet people? Are we assuming... They I, go off and plot their next move. Are they going to go open a renewable energy company like Adam? <laughs> I mean, what are they going to do? <laughs> um, you know, I think Corals, uh, I, I, oh, I know there's a couple, he's got a couple of backup options that are, that are available to him. Cam, Cameron, I think, you know, he's got, a, he's got a young kid. I think he goes back to corporate law and makes some money. Makes some money, yeah. You know, maybe you come back and, and run for the Senate in, uh, in 26 if McConnell didn't do it. But yeah, I, I mean, they're, I can see quarrels in the administration. I don't know that I can see Cameron in the administration. So the, just the way the race is unfolded. Yeah. Plus, I mean, where do you where do you put it? Where do you put the former AG? Like, would Cameron accept what would certainly be considered a step down? Well, it's a from, step down anyway. Yeah. From being AG to you know, but I don't secretary have secretary of, 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 of public protection yeah. or just yeah, just as in public protection cabinet. But yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know. But Daniel also didn't have to run for governor. He yep. could be AG again. So. But uh, do we know who's going to win this race? No. Okay. I, it, I would say, right, if I was a Batman right now, I'd say 65% chance Cameron, 25 Corals, and the rest of Kraft Longshot. I just, I, you know, I know Kelly's got the money, but I just, I don't see her getting any traction. And, you know, for, and I, and I, I don't think it's the way that regular people would view it. But people like you and I who are, who are cursed with the gift of knowledge is to, you know what's actually going on in these campaigns when you when you look at them when you watch how they're acting and how they're behaving Cameron is clearly acting like someone whose lead is dissipated yep and he's and, and fighting to hold what he has and they're and they're sounding alarms they brought in I'm told they brought that they brought in Ted Budd's campaign manager from North Carolina from last year is is, is now on board helping their the super PACs firing back at craft with everything they've got yeah you know, I I think that they're they're clearly putting on the errors of a campaign that's panicked that their lead is slipping away. Yep. The Kraft campaign at the same time is acting like a uh, a Wolverine backed into a corner that doesn't want to go to the zoo. It's, 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 I would never want to be on the other side of that Wolverine. <laughs> it's very very frustrated, very angry, and and lashing yeah. out and just doing whatever they can to stay in the wild. Um, Dieters is just an insane person to start with. The, the only one of those four candidates is acting like they've got any level of confidence is is Corals. And I think it's just because Corals has got a shot. He's shooting it. And if it wins, it wins. If it doesn't, it doesn't. There's not much he can do to, to change the fate outside of So do you think, that. in hindsight, it's always 2020, but do you think, is this the only strategy that would have worked for Ron? Once Kraft got in, once Kraft and Cameron got in, yes. Okay. If, if one of those two hadn't gotten in, there's, there's different doors open. Right. Um, once Once... They both got in. Yeah, I think the, you know, everything, the, the cards are falling right for him in that Cameron's gone, gone negative. 
he needed that to happen. If 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 Kraft had if Kraft had pulled a, a north up and just never gotten close enough for Cameron to ever fire back, then you know it, it really closes off. The, yeah. That really, well, I, I mean, I, it's obvious the Cameron ca- campaign. The race is tightened. There's no doubt. Yeah. No so doubt. I, I, yeah, I, I think that this was once once all all three of them were in. I think that this yeah this was this was the only path available to Portals. And okay. you know I think they they've done a good job executing it, and I think they're acting like a campaign that knows. Hey, we, we've shot our one shot, and it, you know it's like Luke in the freaking X wing. He they, they, he he, fi- he fired the proton torpedo with the exhaust board. If it goes in, we blow up the Death Star. And there we if, go. If not, the uh, fire's coming. By the way, did you think the plot line of Top Gun Maverick was eerie similar to the end of Star Wars? It was a little bit. Or was it more Iron Eagle? I think it was very I mean, similar to the end of Star Wars. I, mean, I was watching and I was like, I love this this movie. I love drinking nostalgia from a fire hose. This movie's great, but I think I've seen this before. I mean, I like Iron Eagle doing the NCAA tournament. I don't. No, Iron Eagle is amazing because the writers had an obvious problem. <laughs> they had a huge plot hole. How do I land the F-16, get my dad back from the enemy, then create a distraction so I can take off of the airport? <laughs> and the writers like just makes up a Hades bomb, yeah. a bomb that doesn't exist in real life. Yeah. But yeah, sorry, I did not mean to sidetrack everybody. <laughs> uh, I, th- I, I really don't know. It's too close to call. I will call the, the Democratic primary. Uh, Andy Bashir, <laughs> Governor Andy Bashir, will win the nomination easily. Uh, Peppy Martin might get two percent. You're gonna and, get sued. You're gonna get sued. And the Revolutionary Guards will get somebody <laughs> to four <4%. laughs> percent. Um, all right, some other stuff to talk about. Uh, <laughs> Kelly staying on the governor's race. Kelly Kraft has a new ad up attacking Daniel Cameron for being establishment and has pictures of him with a bunch of prominent de- DC Democrats, but then him with him and Mitch McConnell. And oh which, yeah, which, which, which is, is interesting. Which is interesting, considering you know Kraft has obviously given millions of dollars to the uh, to McConnell's leadership pack to help preserve Senate seats and keep them away from crazy people. Um, you know, again, we've talked about in the podcast before. Kraft, Cam, and Corwell's all kind of fall from the same same limb of the Republican Party tree. So it's 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 difficult to attack. For any of any of those three to attack the other two but, is but, being. But, but Trey, I, I'm a I'm a lifelong Democrat. Even I know Ronald Reagan's one uh, rule for the Republican, the Lambeth Commitment for Republican politics, and for Kraft to go and just pick on Mitch McConnell when Mitch is up there minding his own business. It's a little in theory. Awkward. It's a little desperate. Yes. Well, again. Wolverine back into a corner. <laughs> so Wolverine is <laughs> it's, it's, it's violating Reagan's 11th commandment. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Mitch is like, what did, what did I do? I mean, you know, and Joe's probably like, Mitch, relax. Uh, why am I in this <laughs> Joe, that's going to be another $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm guessing they poll. This is what I think happened. They polled, and I see Mitch doesn't well, poll wrong, which was, Mitch has never well, polled and well. And remember, as we read on the podcast several months ago, <laughs> that was one of these specific Question that was asked in the in the craft uh, super pack po- uh, issue poll. Yeah, in message testing on Daniel. So you know that was they've they finally gotten off what I thought were the weaker points, the the criminal justice reform stuff, and then they're using some of what I thought would be the, the better, more effective. I'm mad I haven't seen the teddy bear back. Well, you saw the teddy bear was at the debate, right? Oh, I didn't see that. Yes, there was someone in a teddy bear costume <laughs> at, out in yes, front of KET. Yes. Yeah, I had to pull that up. Tessa Duvall had a, had a picture of it on Twitter. If you can tweet that when you post the uh, podcast, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so Kraft's got that got that new ad up. Uh, let's talk about another ad that I found interesting. Andrew Cooper Ryder has an ad up for in the Treasurer's Race where there's a, there's a quick shot of him speaking at a microphone on the floor of the Kentucky State Senate. 
That for and, and the ad the ad is calling out OJ Oleka for pretending to be a conservative when he's not. In the same ad, Andrew Cooperwriter is pretending to be a member of the legislature and he's not. So did he just have leftover pictures from his failed state senate campaign? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, just okay. re- which which by the way, that's a campaign finance question because you can't, ah, you can't we'll get to campaign finance later. But yeah, you, can, you can't transfer those <laughs> nope, things. Nope. So did did his you cannot in kind. You can't in kind did, that either. Did his treasurer's campaign purchase that footage? It would have to. Or, from his well, secretary. If they just threw it up on one of those stupid Unless, B-roll sites. But, but I mean. Yeah, but can you go get it for yourself for another race? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a whole that's a whole mess that you're. Also, he knows the treasurer never steps foot in the state senate, right? I, based on his ads, I don't believe he has any idea what, what a state treasurer does. He's just running for it. To be fair, I don't think really a lot of people do. No. Well, to be fair, the state treasurer uh, oversees uh, abandoned properties, and that's about it. Because everything else is done by the finance cabinet, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, by the way, yeah, here's here's a video of the, oh, oh, video of the teddy oh, bear. Oh, I wish I had an ACLU t-shirt on, but I'll take the suit and tie. There's a <laughs> tie. Um, so, another thing, we talked last week about the the split 15-second ads, the 30-second ads, split the 15 seconds that, that is running in the treasurer's and ag commissioner's race. But Any chance that guy wins treasurer? Absolutely, there's a chance. Yeah, okay. Um, you have Mark that Met- guy meaning Natalie. Yeah, Mark Metcalf. <laughs> Thank you, sorry. Yeah, Mark Metcalf and Richard Heath. Uh, uh, Sierra and Lotion Cruz in the act uh, primary. For all those yeah. curious on the Democratic act side, <laughs> I saw somebody. I saw some reporter tweet that they were trying to write a profile on her opponent and could literally find no information about them. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, that's the hallmark what, a, what a campaign! But the opposing campaign loves to hear. <laughs> hallmark of a great campaign, right there. <laughs> um, but so, so the more I got thinking about it, and I, and I talked to to a colleague of mine who kind of brought this up to me, which which he's accurate. Uh, you know, I mentioned last week that we used to do those at the party. We used to do split mm-hmm. split thirties. Uh, you know, split in the two fifteens. I have like a state house and the state senate member, and do the the party was paying for that ad, and you know, the party can give those candidates whatever the hell they want. So. Right, because so reporting wise, the yeah. party reports what it bought from the station, and then it reports the in kinds it gives to each yeah. each campaign. How, how it breaks out doesn't really matter. Well, the, but that's all legal under yeah. KREF and everything, right? Yes, yes. So, so that's legal from what I understand. Yes. So on this. It was purchased by. I, my understanding is the the, the 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 buy is from the media buyer. Yeah, I looked at the actual sheets, and it's the only purchaser is with, with one media buyer. Yeah, so they bought a thirty second. Now here's here's where it gets into either an FCC. So Acme bought a thirty second. Yeah, Acme bought a thirty second. Uh, either an FCC violation, and when, when it comes to the laws on uh, how you can sell candidates time uh, or it could be a potential cor- corporate contribution issue so if I if I'm a candidate I want to go by one 15 second ad typically the stations will sell me a 15 second ad for 65 percent of the cost of a 30 second ad because there's you know you if you're buying in bulk as always you, you get a little bit better deal plus if you if you're only buying 15 seconds I got to go out and figure out what what the hell to fill the other 15 seconds with whether it's a PSA or something else so you know you're basically paying a, a a hassle fee there for them. Yeah. Um, well, in this instance, those candidates who are splitting the ad, Metcalf and Heath, are paying fifty fifty. Well, okay, if Jonathan Shell or OJ Aleka or Andrew Cooperwriter go to the station, they would be well within their rights to say you need to sell me an ad for the same price that they, that you sold. I want the fifteen for the I'll, same price. I want the fifteen for for fifty percent of the cost of a, a of a thirty. The station is going to say we didn't sell anybody a, a fifteen for that. The, the rate for fifteens, the candidate rate for fifteens is sixty five percent of the of the thirty. Whatever the candidate rate is, well, 
that again, that's not what these two candidates got. So either you run into a a lowest cost issue at the state at the station level, which I don't think it would be because again they didn't sell anybody a fifteen. Now you now it's back over to the buyer and the consultants to where they have if you can follow the logic here, I know it gets kind of kind of gloppy and hard hard to follow. You know, they they are now selling basically bought or essentially basically this ad. Heath and who and Metcalf. Heath and Metcalf got a deal because yeah. they used one buyer to split thirties to fifteens at a cost of a thirty that is not available to yeah. the cost of those fifteens are not available Cause, to show. Because normally, if those two candidates wanted to buy fifteen each, they would both be paying sixty five percent of a of a thirty second ad. So they're essentially paying thirty percent less than it would cost you to go buy two fifteens. So now it's a question of, well, okay, where where does that extra money get accounted? Where does that extra savings get accounted? I'm I'm kind of of the opinion that you could probably, if you wanted to, you could probably make a claim that it's an illegal corporate contribution because that company, that media buyer, is has basically bought an ad and is then selling it to these guys, reselling it to these guys at a lower cost, and they could go buy it elsewhere. Which, in when it comes to campaign reporting, that difference, that lower that lower price, has to be accounted for somewhere as an in kind or anything else. And a corporation cannot in kind or give a donation of any other sort to a campaign. So I, they, I think they may have a serious campaign finance issue here. I, I want to tread lightly because you and I both do deal with um, uh, network TV buyers yes. all the time. Uh, this is the first cycle where I've dealt with uh, 2022, 2020. These are the new, I'm dealing with new people at all the stations mostly. Yeah. I don't think they know what's going on. Because I, I, this is the only year I've had an issue with one station six months later saying, oh, blah, blah, three of my candidates, three of my clients owe the money six months later. I'm like. You didn't get the money up front? <laughs> I was like, I, we gave you the budgets. Yeah. You know, I was like, so I don't know if this, maybe the station made an honest error. Yeah. Or we got a, we got a, I don't know who the media buyer, maybe the media buyer made an error that honestly, if, if, you know, in their favor that he didn't know, he or she didn't know, or he was being, he's got a deal with the station. I, I, you know. I, I believe in this instance, the media buying company is also owned by the consultant, uh, by, by the consultant's firm. You know, it's one of those deals where it's, it's a political consulting firm and then they also own a subsidiary that's a media buyer. I believe that's the situation here. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, consultant here, well, I won't, I won't call it by name, but he, he does also work for, for the craft campaign. Um, you know, it, it's just it. There's something there. There is there's unaccounted for money here, and the question the question is does does the fault for it and the responsibility to make good lie on the station the, or the, the station or the consultants? Yeah, and so basically. You don't know if Heath is paying for Metcalf's ads or if Metcalf funds are paying for Heath's ads. And, and again, there's a, there's that missing 15% right. per, per 15 second ad. So we don't know if Heath is paying for Metcalf. Or Metcalf's self-funding, right? Yes. So Metcalf may be paying for Heath's ads for all we know. Yeah. Uh, which is a KRF violation. But I mean, that, that, but I mean that, can, that can get taken care of in the reporting if they both pay the same equal amount for the ad. You know, I, I go back to there's missing money here. That that yeah, yeah. There's I'm you, saying you, there's you, two you, problems. Though, yeah, so I'm saying there are two yeah, problems. Yeah. I completely agree with you on the missing money. Uh, so you know, just something something interesting to, to to look at. You know, Jared and I both are are nerds who have weird obsessions of looking at campaign finance stuff that most people don't have. The FCC uh, website is my number one bookmark. <laughs> yeah, it's I got a bookmark too. So uh, you know, it's just this is something interesting to look at. Uh, speaking of websites, something. 
Interesting website got forwarded to me by a former uh, co-host, Tom Stevens, betkentucky.com. It's Kentucky spelled out. Interesting website that's got uh, a lot of good information on uh, where we are with the with the implementation process and the history of, uh, of sports betting in Kentucky and also kind of what some of the most likely books to come in Kentucky are. There's lots of good information if you want to kind of stay up to date on where we are on sports gaming, what will and won't be legal, uh, timing, implementation, all that sort of stuff. I want it now. Now, now. Write yes. the regs. I want them now. Yes. I mean, at least it's horses this week. We already got that. So. Well, I was in Massachusetts, so I made a bunch of bets randomly. Oh, uh, UK football to win the NCAA uh, national championship. What's What would you get? Plus... Well, you want to guess it real plus, quick? Plus, 8, I did. 000. I did. I did football and basketball, so I'll let you guess. Football plus eight thousand. I think that was eighty five hundred. I think it was eighty five hundred. Yeah. I think uh, you, basketball. I'm going to go with plus eight hundred. And then I did the the Bengals to win the Super Bowl, which is probably much better odds than UK. But was that plus three fifty or so? Any time for Marcus Rashford to score. Oh wait, sorry, wrong one. Manchester <laughs> United. Nope, 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 wrong one. Uh, <laughs> Oh, Kentucky to win college football playoff, 1,000. Wow. 10,000. Sorry. Missed the zero. Whoa, yeah. 10,000. That's a pretty big zero, Jared. <laughs> Real Madrid. Oh, how, no, how pissed I, you beat the sports book missed that when they're paying you? <laughs> I picked the Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup. I should not be able to. Uh, I picked Red Bull to win. <laughs> Ferrari to have the fastest lap. Kentucky to win the NCAA tournament, 1,300. Yeah, that's, that's, Bengals, 850. Okay, that, that's about better than I thought they'd be. Yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, sorry. <laughs> we'll get to the general gambling part of the podcast here later. We need Abby to rein us in. Yeah. Um, you, so the Kremlin apparently believes that bombing someone else's capital is a terrorist act, which I find amusing. Uh, if you're not following uh, this morning, Kremlin, uh, Kremlin announced that... I retweeted some of the actual video footage. It, the Ukraine has stopped... Uh, the Kremlin stopped the Ukraine attempting to use a drone to strike That's the Kremlin the day before Victory Day. Technically correct, but the flagpole is what blew the drone up. Yeah. So, they, yeah, they, I guess they... Did they force it into the flagpole? Is that what happened? Or? It was looks like it was trying to land in the Kremlin, and I think it clipped the flagpole on okay. the way down, and then it blows up. Man, how pissed would you be if you were that drone runoff? So close, man. Dude, you are so close. So close to being in history. <laughs> I, I, look, I'm going to give it to them. They successfully attacked the Kremlin. Yes. When's the last time anybody successfully attacked the Kremlin? Not even the Nazis could get to the Kremlin. No. Um, I, I just find Putin's reaction amusing that he's been freaking launching rockets. At, Killing three-year-olds hiding in basements of yeah, apartment buildings. Launching rockets at Kiev for over a year that he has the gall to call an attempted attack on the capital in Moscow to be a terrorist act. Like, dude, that means you're a terrorist. Like, <laughs> What I love about it is it happened and it was caught on video before they could say it never happened. And so it's so bad, the Russians couldn't even deny it. That's, yeah. how, that's how you know it's really bad. Their <laughs> defense system is rough. Because well, they put air defenses around the Kremlin, I think, a month ago, two months ago. This is the day before Victory Day. Excellent. Their, their big parade uh, celebrating the, the victory of the Nazis. So, like, you know, that would have been a big deal if they had blown the Kremlin up the day before, the day before Victory Day. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I saw some Russian propaganda on Twitter, and they were like, we've um, – We've conquered Europe twice. This will be the third time. And then we had to remind them that the two times they conquered Europe, they had the help of America and, and England. Yes. And this time they're on their own as they march through Eastern Europe. Well, but one of those times they actually quit and went back and had a revolution. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, the other time is they were on the the Nazi side to start with. Yes. And then Hitler. I guess maybe you could throw in 
Napoleon, I guess? They did stop Napoleon. I'll give them that. That one's good. It also came up... Oh, it also gave us the uh, Overture of 1812, which is one of the True. most amazing pieces of classical music. Did you see what happened in L.A.? It, the other Trotsky, uh, Trot, uh, Tchaikovsky, Tchaikovsky um, playing? No. A woman had a full-bodied orgasm from the crowd so loud they stopped playing. Now, Tchaikovsky has some bars. I can see that happening. And this is in the news. You all can check it out. Trey's looking at me like I made this up like, as I walked in. Just from, just from <laughs> Look, the, dude, he's got it's sick music. I'm saying. I can see it happening. The vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have what she's having. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Tchaikovsky, Napoleon, Russians. Russians bad. Moving on, Trey. <laughs> Um, I'm going to pull up this poll that Jared sent me uh, earlier in the week. So there's a, there's a poll that got mentioned a little bit on in the debate, I believe. Um, Fox News poll having to deal, deal with uh, – this is Fox News, but American support for gun laws. Uh, 67% support background checks for guns. Uh, 81% uh, enforcing existing gun laws. 81% legal age 21 to buy all guns. Uh, 80% support requiring mental health checks. 80% uh, support flagging people as a danger to themselves. 77% support 30-day waiting period. So that's that's on – that's a Fox how, News how many How many people support a 30-day waiting period? That's the one that, that shocked me. 77? Yeah. So on the heels that they caught the, um, the guy in Texas that did that yep. horrible killing um, with the AR-15 – who had been deported a couple times, four times. Four times. So uh, I am getting ready to say something that I didn't think I'd say. I agree completely with Trey when he said something last podcast or two podcasts ago about immigration. Enforce the laws that are on the books. Same for guns. Yep. We do that. Everything's fine. Biden's sending troops to the border. We just saw that. Uh, I am for bombing fentanyl clinics across the border. You know, we did it in Colombia. I don't see why we shouldn't do it in Mexico. Um, but... I've always understood the immigration issue is e-verify. Corporate corporate America doesn't want e-verify. Well, there's also an immigration issue with we severely limit legal immigration for certain countries, and certain countries have a very long waiting period, so people will just give up and come here illegally. That's that's another that's another issue that we've got with. with I mean, we have a lot of problems with the, with the immigration process. E-verify is one that the companies don't want it because it's going to cost some extra money. And it, no, they don't want it because it's going to. Decimate the workforce. Well, it's, be, it's also going to be bureaucratic hassles. It's going to decimate the but, workforce. But, but the issue is, is if you fix the other side of it, which is letting more people into the legal process and speeding the process to get people in legally, it won't because now you, I'm all for that. Now, yeah, you know the immigration process. Let me, let me, here's the problem with immigration. I almost tweeted this. In fact, I did tweet it and immediately deleted it because I just I didn't want the fight that I knew. <laughs> You know, sometimes I tweet. Trey, stuff. you're maturing, and you're sometimes as you get older. Well, it's not. It's not maturing. It's like I, I got other shit to do, and I just don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't have like six hours to sit around and fight with fight with liberals and and, and nut job right wingers on Twitter all day. In in oh god, what was it? Maybe twelve or so, twelve or thirteen, maybe even earlier. Uh, there was a none of the Gang of Eight had a deal on immigration. Oh, the, you the did gang, tweet this. I saw it, but you did. The, okay, the, the Gang of Eight had a deal. Where they basically addressed ninety percent of all the immigration issues. They had a deal. It would have passed the House. It would have passed the Senate. It addressed everything, with the exception of Dreamers, because even nobody, nobody can come to. Even the Democrats don't agree among themselves. Republicans don't agree among themselves. What exactly to do with the Dreamers and certain uh, populations of the illegals that are already here? But the country but, made a promise to the Dreamers. But, but eight, but eight, they. We can set that aside for the moment, though. 
they agreed on like 90% of everything else. It would have fixed all the other problems that we had, the, the slow process for legal immigration, the, the, the uh, uh, extraordinarily low and draconian limits on people coming in from certain countries. Would have addressed all of that stuff. Obama said specifically, if it doesn't have the Dreamers in it, I ain't signing it. I'll veto it. Well, that blew up the whole deal. We could have fixed 90% of this problem, but Obama said, if we don't do it all, then I'm not going to... That's the... We're still stuck in the same spot because Obama wouldn't sign anything if it wasn't comprehensive. It's just, it, it, is, it is lunacy to me that we don't talk about this more. That, that we, we had a deal done and the dude blocked it. We, we, could, we could have a lot of these problems. Yeah, but Trey, look, hold on. We're, we're, Obama's not the big bad wolf here. No, right? no, he's Trump, no Trump, Trump ran on immigration. Trump ran on the border. He ran on the wall. By the way, do you see the, the founder of the Donate for the Wall Fund got arrested for money laundering? Good. Yeah. Uh, Trump did have the immigration. He had the House. He had the Senate. He didn't do shit on immigration. No, I mean. So, I mean, let's, let's not say this is Obama's fault. Well, I see your point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to 90, when, 95%. When, when, when there's the deal there, there, there was never going to be a deal there under Trump. Why? Bush, he had everything. Bush, you all had everything. Because because he's a crazy person. Because he... And, <laughs> um, Bush, Bush, Bush even, like, God, you would have thought he had, he had proposed, like, digging up Ronald Reagan's corpse and kicking it in the nuts when he, when he, <laughs> when he proposed immigration reform. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the one chance that we've had in the last 25 years to deal with it, we had a deal. It was cut. It was ready to go. And Obama wouldn't sign it because it didn't deal with that with with the five percent. I, I, I get so frustrated when government allows the perfect to be the enemy of the good. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and, and, and there are there are now millions of people who have suffered and and will continue to suffer because that deal didn't get signed. Yeah, I agree. But when the United States government makes a promise to people, okay, and recently I can think of four occasions. The United States government's broken promises to people that have really affected their livelihoods and made us look very, very bad. We told the dreamers to come out of the shadows, sign up, you'll be okay. They did that and they were like, oh, just kidding. We haven't figured out the rest yet. Sorry. Thanks for outing yourself. So got the list right here. Number two, when Trump came in power, he turned our back on the Kurds. The Kurds had fought with us for decades in the Middle East against the most Mm -hmm. horrible people on earth. Saddam Hussein, the Republican Guard, ISIS, I can go on and on and on. And, and we left them and we left them to, to fend for themselves. Uh, Ukraine giving up his nuclear weapons. Yep. We, we asked him. We protect them. We told him, give up your nuclear weapons and we'll protect you. And we have to do it. So I'm mean, just saying, when we say, hey, do this and we'll do that, we're, we're usually good about getting the X. Yep. We don't do the Y. And so immigration's a but, mess. But anyway, back to our original point. Guns. Our original point were guns. Well, well, which I think we both agree with, which is there are there are lots of laws that are currently in the books that are either willingly not enforced by executive order by the, the, the executive branch telling the DOJ, immigration, whoever else, not to enforce the law, or there are they are undermanned, understaffed, underfunded to enforce the laws, or in the case of guns, in a lot of instances, there there are other. Kind of, there are other supporting laws that need to be passed, such as such as universal background checks that need to be passed in order to enforce other laws, such as keeping the guns out of the hands of felons. We, you know, that the, there are structural pieces that are missing there, whether it's regulatory or or actual code that needs to be passed by the by the legislature. If if we would just enforce the laws that are on the books, give law enforcement the tools, get out of the way, stop playing politics with the laws that are that are passed. Some of these problems would get fixed just just purely by enforcing the laws that we have. Well, but but in that vein, Trey, one of the reasons 
the people of this Texas massacre that we were talking about called 911 and they're like, help's on the way, help's on the way. It took 40 minutes for yeah. help to get there. And then that's and in some places in Texas, Louisiana, gas station owners are hiring private security for their gas stations. So like if they're not going to get there and I know you don't want to everybody arm society, do we? I know that's what they want. And that's going to lead to more bodies, more death, more destruction. Uh, I just I mean, if the, if the cops aren't going to come save you, then people are going to buy more guns. Listen, the, the, the basic you can be as libertarian as you want. The basic duties of the federal government are. National security and the general security of the people, and right now Correct. we're failing at one, at one of those two. And depending on your point of view, we're failing at both. But uh, you know that the, the, the I feel like government, both sides, both parties have gotten so into and obsessed with these other issues, they've lost track of what the actual role, especially the federal government, but government in general. Federal governments make sure Canada and Mexico don't come take your shit. Yes. The king of England doesn't come, put his soldiers in your house. And then we and then we got interstates and, and interstate yeah. commerce, has, and some commerce. Level, has some level of regulation. And that there's some sort of government that oversees all 50 of the other governments to make sure everybody's playing yeah. by the same set of yeah. rules. And, and do not forget the most important amendment, the third amendment, yeah, that's they're why not. They're not soldiers living in that, my house. That's why I said yes. King England can't can't do well, that. No, America can't do that either. Oh yeah, you they cannot, know. <laughs> the Third Amendment, man. We yeah. cannot forget. And, you know, that's the question that I get asked at the debate. Like, you know, like, <laughs> we want answers. Renee Shaw, <laughs> where are you answers, on the third? Where do these people stand on the Third Amendment? Where do they stand on the quartering of troops in my house? <laughs> <laughs> but also, but Trey, wh- where's this country going? I saw today that in Louisville, fast food workers had eleven-year-olds and eight-year-olds working with the fryers. Like, so if we're going to say, well, nobody wants to work, it's because we won't pay them a living wage, but other than that. But when when workers refuse to take jobs because it doesn't pay enough for them to live their lives. So instead of raising wages, they hire children and violate federal labor laws. Well, are they doing the math and seeing the fines of the laws are cheaper than what their wages would cost? This is where I get so frustrated that so the left wants the left was like. Living wage. We got paid, you know, twenty dollar an hour minimum wage. You know, whatever the hell it is they're asking for today. The problem is they set the living wage at what it is in like L.A. No, let York. every state well, do well, it. Well, let, let every me, state well, do let it. Me, let me finish. I'm, I'm saying the, 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 this problem with their politics, though. The left, like the people you hear on TV and that you, you hear speaking in Congress, they, when they talk about living wage, they want like what they see. Because when I say they, it's 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 the Californians and the New Yorkers and the the, North, the New Englanders in their their living wage is much higher. Then Republicans are like, "No, we can't. We don't shouldn't even have a, a minimum wage at all." Like, where's where's the where's the middle? Like, I'm for I'm actually for um, increases in minimum wage, but I'm for I don't even want the state to set them because the, the you want min- to do it by county the, the, the minimum wage and the minimum living wage in Clay County is going to be way different than Louisville. it is in Lexington or Louisville. Your local government should be should should be empowered to set those set those lines because the living wage is going to be different everywhere. And unless you want to force everyone out of the rural areas, you want to eliminate every rural job and force everybody to go have, have to live in, a, in an urban, suburban area, we're going to have to get to a point where if you want to both have vibrant rural communities but also have people making a reasonable wage that they can live wherever they want to live on, it's going to have to be done locally because those costs of living vary so greatly nowadays. And, and, there's nobody out there talking about that middle, and it frustrates the hell out of but, me. But it's, it, it's agreed upon that you cannot have one 40-hour-a-week job at minimum wage and have an apartment and raise a family. You have to have at least two. Yeah. So. Which, just, which, which, is, which is also wrong. But, but again, I, I, I get back to we don't raise it because 
the people who are vocally pushing for the raises want people in Clay County to make the same minimum wage as someone in Manhattan. And that's just that, that's yeah, that's, but, that's but that's also a straw man though, Trey. I mean, but, it's 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 but, it, but it's also. It's, it's I mean, also, I agree with you. It's untenable, but it's yeah. not people in Clay County. You're right, or or Jackson County, or whatever. Yeah. I don't want to single Clay out, but you know, you need a cost of living for where the community that you're in. That's, that's why I really I, I I wish we had a law where they because I think didn't Louisville Lexington try to do it and it got struck down. Yeah, because in Bowling Green, I think then they had a Democratic fiscal court and they did uh, they repelled right to work at the local level. Yeah. Um. And I can't remember what happened. No, no, no. It was reversed. They, they passed right to work at a local level. In, in Orange but Green. but they failed the minimum wage in, in Bowling Green. Yeah. Okay, that's what it was. But yeah. I think Lexington tried to set one as well and it got thrown out. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I'd like to see the, lo- the local communities empowered to raise it. Because so, and, and here's the deal. Like, let's say you've got a three-county cluster. you got Powell, Clay, Jackson, all down there. If Powell County says, I want to be more competitive than these other ones, and they decide to set a, a higher living wage and all the population moves out of Jackson and Clay County over to Powell County, right, that might that, that might encourage Clay and, and Jackson to raise, raise a little bit themselves. You know, give these give these counties, cities, towns, localities, empower them. You know, and this goes back to the discussion we've had before about uh, local control over taxation and the need for that, for that constitutional limit to pass. I need, to, I need to apologize to Lena Muldoon. I'm sorry. <laughs> she, she, she corrected me. That I did not mention that we didn't talk about Lyft. We were yep. talking about uh, being able to raise taxes by the interstate on restaurants and hotels, restaurants, hotels, and gas stations if you're on interstate. So, uh, Lena, I apologize. Thanks for listening to the show. We are for Lyft uh, local option sales tax here. I'm, I mean, I'm for Michael Meredith's constitutional limit that would that would basically allow local governments total control over their taxation. They, they would still, you know, the way the way it worked was you, you would still have to go to the general assembly and say, hey, this is what we're doing, but you know, let's remove the barriers that that county governments can only use occupational property and insurance. insurance yeah. You know, let, let's let's get rid of that. And but you know, the same the same way with minimum wage, give counties a flexibility to make their laws change in a way that makes them the most competitive based on their local economy. We're, Republicans are all about small government to a certain point. Let's 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 keep going down. Can give it, bring it to the, to the lowest possible level. Cause it, that's going to be, that's going to create the best policies. And, and I know we don't, you know, I know we're not Scandinavia, but McDonald's workers in Scandinavia make like 24 bucks an hour, full vacation, full yeah, pay time but off. They're serving moose meat, man. Oh, reindeer. Really? It's reindeer. It's reindeer meat. <laughs> um, but I'm not saying we have to be them, but it is possible. It is possible for owners of, of franchises, franchises, to make a lot of money yeah. running franchises. They've also got like a 60% tax rate, so. <laughs> no, don't worry about that. That's not right. the best I've seen in living. Well, let's, right. let's, let's wrap up the political part of the podcast. And uh, we are uh, going to take a quick break, uh, which which we you to seem like just a second for us, a few more minutes, and we'll be back with Gene McLean, talk derby, ask all our derby and Oaks questions, and uh, find out what we should be looking for this weekend. You're listening to, to Kentucky Politics Weekly. All right, as promised, we are back with the fourth annual Kentucky Politics Weekly uh, Derby Preview and the resident KPW horse racing expert, Gene McLean from the Little World Thoroughbred Society is on the line. Gene, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Trey. I appreciate being asked and uh, look forward to uh, Derby 149 coming up this week. Absolutely. Uh, So let's... I guess let's start with the over, with overall look at Churchill at the moment and kind of where obviously there's racing yesterday, racing today, all the way through the weekend. Uh, I, I know it's it's early in the meet, just uh, a couple of days in, but 
when when as somebody's looking at the racing forum and looking at where the horses were right before this, uh, kind of what what sort of form do you think they should be looking at as far as kind of what tracks are coming in from it? And, and I know we've talked about it before, and I think fairgrounds last year was the one you mentioned. Is, is that still holding up that you want to look that horses, especially in the undercard, if they run fairgrounds before that's a good that's a good track or kind of what what are you looking at as a good indicator of success at Churchill? Yeah, it's a good question, Trey, and you really don't know until you get a, a, a little bit of experience on how this meet is going to play because every year when you start, it's, it's a little bit different. But traditionally, um, you know, Keeneland plays to speed and always has and always will. And Gulfstream Park plays to speed and always has and always will. And, and that's because the makeup of their tracks and where they're located. Keeneland sits on the highest point in Fayette County, so it gets a lot of wind, drives that track out, and it's just a speed-favoring a speed racetrack. It's got a short stretch, and, um, you know, it just plays to those horses that you've got to really be on the move coming out of that turn, and, and it's really at, at the top of the stretch, you've got to be in a very uh, – favorable leading position. Gulfstream is much the same way. It's really sandy. Um, and so it plays to speed, it's a lot, very tight turns. You know, the fairgrounds is a much uh, more traditional racetrack and very similar, I think, in the in the composition of the soil and in the layout of the track to Churchill Downs. So those horses, I think, play very well. Oakland, I think, is another track that those horses winter down there pretty well the real kicker is you know now going to be you know the turfway horses because there's so many more horses standing in kentucky uh due to the increase in the purses and churchill now owns that track and so um you've got a lot of horses that are coming out of turfway and it's going to be really interesting to see how well they do both at keeneland and at churchill after a winter over the tapita yeah but the, those turfway horses were tough at churchill this year yeah, you know, I, I think I mean, they're going to get Sorry, yeah. yeah, I think they're going to get just better and better, and and they're going to be fit, and um, you know the uh, because that track is uh, get and the purses are going to continue to increase now that we've got uh, sports betting on the horizon, and along with the uh, expansion of HHR historical horse racing, and that venue up there is just. Uh, so attractive in its location and, and proximity to uh, population base. Uh, I just think that Turfway's uh, purse structure is going to be so positive that really, really good horses are starting to spend the winter there and, and race there. Uh, let's move on to the, the, the two big races, the Oaks and the Derby. Uh, let's start with the, with the Oaks. And kind of what what are you seeing there? What do you like? Any any broad feelings in the horses in in the Oaks? Um, and you know, kind of your overall thoughts of the race. Yeah, you know, I, I think the favorite is going to be Wet Paint. Um, that's, uh, I think my top two horses in here um, are going to be uh, really from the Brad Cox barn. The uh, the ones that I'm going to play, uh, Trey. Um, Wet paint, um, if it rains and it's supposed to rain, I, but you never know about Kentucky, right? I mean, uh, stick around five minutes and the weather will change. But I think if we do get some rain, it could possibly be on Friday. And if it does rain and the track is off a little bit, wet paint uh, 
true to her name, really performs very, very well. She's been on three off tracks in her in her career. She's won all three of those. Uh, a lot of people thought she was just a wet track kind of specialist, but I said before our last race that this filly is is really developed. And, and if you know anything about Brad Cox, he really made his name uh, training fillies. And uh, you know he's won the Oaks already three times in his in his career. He he, he had Monomoy Girl. He had She Dares the Devil. And you know he he really kind of made his first name as a trainer with the fillies he had in his barn. So. It doesn't surprise me that he's loaded for Bear uh, for the Oaks. Wet paint is trained by Brad Cox. She's going to be the favorite. The filly that I like uh, maybe to team up with her is the Yalis Look, um, who I think is Drew the number two hole. I don't have the uh, – Yeah, that's correct. The piece. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think this filly, uh, you can toss the last race. I don't think uh, – I just don't think she liked it that day. And uh, her form um, really previous to that race was in improving and very uh, impressive. So I think she will rebound and, and run well on Friday as well. Um, the horse on the outside, um, pretty mischievous, I think, is a horse you've got to use because, of, uh, you know, she's just that good. And, and so you can't toss her. But um, I think the uh, Pletcher horse that uh, I read Ortiz is riding, I think she's in the three hole, um, is going to be a long shot. And, uh, and then gambling girl. yeah, gambling girl. Um, those are the two longer plays I'm going to use, but I'm going to key wet paint and uh, wet paint uh, to win in place and, and probably double down on my wind wager there. And, but I'm going to use maybe the Alice look across the board because I think she's 15 to one morning line, maybe even drift up from there. Um, a person I really value their opinion on the backside thinks that she is coming into the race very similarly to the way uh, she dares the devil did a couple of years ago. And we all know how successful she was. So um, I might play her across the board, but uh, she's certainly going to be in my exact place as well. Well, I'm, I'm sure my, uh, my, Oldest who turns nine tomorrow, a Star Wars day, baby. We want to bet on the number 12 horse, which is Darth Vader. <laughs> uh, I knew that you would pick that. Uh, um, <laughs> well, I, it's got size. That you. you know, that, that's not the worst bet in the world. No, no. I think that, uh, you know, she ran a really nice race uh, a couple of races ago. And, uh, you know, she's got some talent. All these fillies are, they they look to have some. I think she's a little further outside. You know, yeah. you got 14, and it really, the post position shouldn't uh, hurt, you know, those even on the outside. I remember several years ago when um, um, there's a horse, um, oh, the name escapes me now, but she uh, she broke from the far outside and came running in the lane and got up to win. You know, as long as you don't get hung wide going into that first turn, and there's plenty of room to at Churchill Downs to navigate your way either over to, you know, you know, um, not lose all the ground, but also if you got some speed, and I think pretty mischievous may break their running and get herself moved over enough that where she's a forward, uh, play, forwardly placed. I still don't think she's as good as wet paint. I think wet paint's the best really in the race. Uh, but I do think the Alex look uh, um, may have a shot at uh, with the upset. Let's talk Derby and let, let's start with the prep races. What 
Which prep races do you typically like to look at? Which which ones do you put the most stock in as far as uh, translating performance to, to Derby? Well, you know, recently the Florida Derby has been really the preeminent um, uh, contributing race to the Derby. Uh, you know, the Santa Anita Derby, obviously, when the Baffert horses have been coming out of there, but you know, thank goodness nobody's raised that name uh, this week. I don't think anybody's really, uh, you know, I'm just seeing him at Ruby's downtown. You know, I like I like the fact that uh, we've had a uh, derby without uh, anybody. Uh, you know, uh, don't get me started. I, I won't go there, Trey, because you know that I'm inclined to be uh, rather uh, opinionated. In, if anyone wants to refresh on Gene's opinion of Baffert, you can go back and listen to last year's Derby <laughs> preview. I think there's a rather lengthy segment uh, dealing with that subject. Gene, this is my yeah. first year doing this, so if you would like to recap briefly your hatred of Baffert, <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, let's just say that um, uh, I am happy that uh, we don't have to deal with that again this year. And I applaud Churchill Downs for taking the position they took and upholding uh, the tradition and the credibility of the, of the world's greatest horse race. So uh, uh, nobody is at a loss for, for that guy not being there. So uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, all, that, all that being said, uh, I really think the Florida Derby has become the preeminent uh, prep for the Derby because when they moved the time for the race, it gave plenty of time for horses to go there and then come out of there and get some rest in between, which trainers love to do these days. Don't say, I'm not a believer that that's the right thing to do, but trainers today like to give their horses more time in between. And so I think the Florida Derby probably is the best time slot. It seemed, it seemed like the Florida I, I was, Derby this year that the, you had a bunch of the premier horses kind of skip it to stay away for today. Do you think that that was the case? Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned, you know, the prep that I think is most impressive. And I'm going to say the Florida Derby this year and not and not because Forte won it, but how he won it. Because I think if they ever were going to beat him and he and he has lost one race in his life. But if they ever were going to beat him now, that was the day to beat. He was washed out completely going into the into the race. He got side. You know, he, got, he just kind of lost his focus in the in the uh, paddock. Uh, I never have seen him act that way or be that way. He was sweaty. He was washed. Uh, he broke from the far outside there, which is almost a death knell to begin with. I think the, the winning um, position at, there at Gulfstream from the, where he broke from was like four for 128. And, you know, he looked beaten the entire race. And when Mage went to the lead at the top of the stretch and looked so impressive, you know, I think a lot of people have said, well, this race is over. And, and, and the fact that the horse still, I think he probably changed leads a couple times in the, in the term, which I, I hadn't seen before. And he still got up to win, to me, indicates what kind of uh, competitor the horse is. Truthfully, Trey, I think the horse, if he runs his race, is four to five lengths better than anyone else in this field. Uh, I think he's, he, it, you know, someone asked me, well, is there anybody in this crop that has the ability to become one of racing's best of all time since we're talking about the 50th anniversary of Secretariat? And I said, it's too early to tell because we got to run the Derby. But if Forte wins the Derby the way I think he can, I, I think he can go on and be a triple crown winner. And I think he can become uh, in that 
in that same discussion with the likes of American Pharaoh and and uh, recent Triple Crown winners. I, I, I hate to even use Justify because he shouldn't have been in the Derby, much less win a Triple Crown. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, that again goes to another subject that we're avoiding. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I do think that um, Forte has the ability. Now it's time to, to prove it. And um, I saw him uh, yesterday. Uh, I saw him come over uh, to the paddock and do his schooling. Uh, there is not a more impressive looking horse in this race. And I know it's not a uh, picture show, but uh, this horse is, is built. Uh, he's built to run. And, and uh, I think he, uh, my numbers show he's four to five lengths better than anybody in the field. I would love to see in the 50th anniversary of Secretariat, a horse uh, emerge, not to become or be compared because, you know, that's unfair to anybody to compare a horse to Secretariat, but it would be great for the business and the sport to have a horse that uh, people talk about on the 50th anniversary that we had a great horse. For for the degenerate gamblers among us, uh, <laughs> what I, I actually saw a friend of mine, uh, daily racing form reporter, Matt Hagerty at the, at the gym this morning, we were kind of talking about it and he was saying, yeah. he, he was hoping that he could maybe get Forte and like, uh, you know, five to two, four to one. So, you know, for the degenerate gamblers, what's, what's kind of a key price where if you see Forte going off, you know, going off at a, at, at this price that you would just, you'd say, put, put, put it all on it, make, make your heavy bet. Kind of what, what's the price that you're, you're hoping that Forte will go off at on, on, uh, on Saturday. Well, I, I will, I will give you my uh, prejudicial very biased opinion about odds. I think they're the least important thing you should consider when you're handicapping. Yeah. Uh, because, um, you know, we anybody that goes to Las Vegas, you can't get even odds on anything, right? Um, so, uh, but that doesn't keep people from going there. I, 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 have, I haven't seen anybody uh, going out of business in Las Vegas except uh, the, the people. But, you know, so odds don't factor into my uh, philosophy, unless I, I look up and see somebody at one to five or two to five, and, and, and even most times three to five, I, I don't I don't invest. Uh, and and a lot of people say it's wagering. I I am I consider it investing, just like you're investing in a stock market or anything else. I mean, you you need to do your homework. You need to do your planning. Sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. But uh, um, I, I don't let odds dictate my my strategy as far as who I'm going to use. Now I know that flies in the face of, of the quote unquote value player uh, experts that profess to be really successful in the handicapping business. But I have never found the value in a losing ticket. Um, so um, <laughs> you know, it seems to me a, a winning ticket. Uh, as Confucius once said, Trey, man never go broke taking profit. And um, <laughs> so, um, I, I, I believe that, um, you know, I think you're, I don't think he'll dip below two to one. I think there's a chance he could get to two to one, but there's going to be so much volume of wagers from around the world, the Japanese horses. Um, who I don't like. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's that, not personal. That, that, that was, I mean, let's hold I, that. That was I gonna think, be my next question to Japanese horses. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I it's not personal. I, I mean, I like them. I like the horses personally. I mean, I talked to one the other day. And Why do you hate Japanese horses, Gene? <laughs> but you, you, you got to speak a little Japanese and, and I don't, I don't speak the language. <laughs> so, um, I, people will say I don't speak the English language very well, you know, um, <laughs> uh, but I, um, my good friend Rusty Crest once said um, he had a, 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 a child of his that was struggling to pass English in high school. And, and he came home one day and he found that his grade uh, wasn't quite what Rusty uh, thought it should be. And Rusty says, uh, can you speak English? And he goes, yeah, Dad, I can speak English. And he said, well, why can't you pass it? And, uh, <laughs> so, um you know, uh, I thought it was a good line. And uh, Trey, you know Rusty. He's been a lobbyist oh, yeah. for years. Great guy. I got to know Rusty when he played in the Little League World Series, the first event I ever covered when I was at the Herald Leader. And, wait, uh, wait, wait. Came... Rusty played in the Little League World Series? Oh, yeah. He played for Southeast oh. Lexington and then played in the Little League World Series. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway, but, you know, I, I think uh, getting back to your original question, Trey, I mean, odds. I don't think this horse will get two to one. If you can get two to one, I take it all day long. If you think he's the horse uh, that can win the race, and I personally think he is, I think there's probably five, six, maybe seven that I will use with Forte, um, and may and you know predominantly underneath Forte, but I will play an insurance policy with them over Forte. But um, I, I I think that. If Forte, it's like Tom Amos told me yesterday, and I think Tom Amos is one of the best handicappers on the backside, uh, as long as well as being one of the best trainers. Um, he said, if Forte run, has, it runs his A game, I don't think he can lose. And he doesn't have to run his A game, and he could still win. And I think that's really uh, accurately said. Um, so um, where's the value? I think the value is on Forte, will continue to be on Forte. I think he's a horse to beat. He's going to be my primary play. The horse looks absolutely beautiful. Uh, Todd Fletcher's done a great job getting to the races. Uh, he breaks from the 15 hole, which I think is okay. And um, so um, now it's um, just getting him from starting gate to finish line, right? Um, the Japanese horses. I, I was at a at a uh horse industry charity golf thing a couple of weeks ago and a lot of the horsemen there were talking about the Japanese horses uh there was at that particular event there was a lot of enthusiasm for them maybe maybe not this year winning but in the future winning a derby but I, I think a bunch of people there thought that that number 17 uh, Der, Derma Sotogaki had a had a chance uh I know you just said you're not a big fan of the Japanese horses why is that and, and what do you think about them well I let me say this. I think they've done a tremendous job of coming to Kentucky and buying really good pedigrees, pedigreed mares. They bought some stallions that have been successful. The, the, the number one being Sunday Silence, but 49er was a good stallion there. And they, they bred some good horses by use, utilizing American um, bloodstock. And, and so they, they, they've done well. I mean, they, you know, everybody thinks they're, going to overtake Kentucky as the breeding capital of the world. That'll never happen. I, I'd be willing to bet that at one to five. And, uh, but, uh, you know, because they just don't run, uh, they don't run, they run against each other. So 
but they've gone international and they've won some races over in Dubai and Saudi Arabia and, and in Europe. And so suddenly everybody said, well, you know, uh, what's going on with the Japanese breeding program? They're overtaking the Americans. And, and I, I just don't see it happening. Um, uh, more the, the, the reason I'm, I'm not bullish on the Japanese horses in the Kentucky Derby is this is just simply uh, mathematics. And that is, um, it's never happened. They've gone to Dubai, which has never produced a horse that's come close to winning the Derby. And we've got 148 years of history. And so, you know, when um, a couple of years ago, when um, the New York bred um, Tis the Law was the hot horse, I said, I, uh, someone asked me, are you using Tis the Law? And I said, no. And they said, well, why? And I said, well, there's only been one New York bred to win. And I think it was 147 years at that time. I mean, one New York bred in 147 years doesn't add up to a good math to me. And, you know, and I like Angel of Empire this year. I love the horse. I love the all balls. I love Jason Luch. I, I think they're great for our game and, and they're outstanding people. I love them. But there's been two Pennsylvania breds to win the Derby in 148 years. And I think I'm going to use him underneath because I think he's got uh, the ability to run, but you know, and be very close at the wire. But I don't. Th I'm not going to use him to win. And 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 I think history has a lot to say. And until somebody does it, uh, there have been more fillies to win the Kentucky Derby than there have been Japanese horses and um, <laughs> and Pennsylvania breads and New York breads combined. So um, you know. Um, or as many, there've been three Phillies to win the Derby. Um, I tell everybody, I got to cover two of them. And they said, well, we know you covered regret in 1902 or whatever, Who's, who <laughs> did you miss? So, um, but I did get the opportunity to cover uh, Leroy Jolly and Genuine Risk and then Winning Colors who was trained by D. Wayne Lucas. And I, I nobody at this, at this time thinks a Philly would win the Derby. And, and so, um, History history is proven to be pretty pretty good telling line on the Derby and and so mathematics is the reason I I, I just don't think the Japanese horses will play much of a role in this year's Derby and maybe maybe for quite some time. All right, you mentioned that there was six or seven that you liked underneath. Uh, why don't you run through them? If you leave any of the ones that I like, at I'll ask you about the ones <laughs> that I like at the end. Yeah, you know I I think Tampa tries. Um, is the is probably the leading contender to to pull the upset and and you know he's going to probably be second choice. Thought his run in the in the bluegrass was outstanding. I I touted verifying that day because I thought verifying has the pedigree and the running style to win the uh, bluegrass on that track and he almost did. I mean I uh, I was very bullish on verifying because of the speed and the and how it came from favor speed. For Tampa tries to get up in the end, be verifying that day, I thought was true testament to his skill and to his, his constitution. Uh, so I, I think Tampa tries is probably the second. The horse that I really loved going into the draw was Hit Show. And um, as you well know, he drew the number one hole, which is not good. Um, but I'm still going to use Hit Show. Um, I thought his run in the Wood Memorial was outstanding. Um, he is feeling so good. They, the Brad Cox and his train staff put draw reins on him just to get him to the racetrack. Uh, he's a handful and he is a muscular dude. 
and um, he's he's full of uh, of vinegar. So um, I really think that he's got uh, a big shot in here if he can overcome the one post position. Um, you, 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 Trey, can you uh, do you remember the last horse? to have trained going up to the derby in uh, draw range? I, uh, I cannot, Gene. That was always dreaming. They had trouble getting always dreaming to uh, stay on his feet <laughs> when they took him to the track. And Todd Fletcher uh, changed exercise riders. And he put um, um, Greg Bush uh, from Midway, um, a exercise rider, Nick Bush. He was Greg's son. But Nick Bush, they put him up on him. He was a very strong kid. And they put him up to ride, uh, change exercise riders the week of the derby. And they put draw reins, which, which dropped down a little lower on the neck and the front shoulder uh, just to keep him on the, you know, keep him under control. That means the horse is really feeling good and feeling and feeling um, very energetic and always grooming won the derby that year. Um, and I think hit show is, is if he can overcome the post, I, I think he's got a big shot to hit the board. Um, so um, Tampa Trice and Hit Show, I, I like him. Um, Angel of Empire, uh, uh, again, not to win, but be in that second, third, fourth, maybe uh, possibility. Um, verifying, I'm not as bullish on. He drew the number two hole. Uh, he's going to have to utilize some speed getting out of there and getting to the front. Everybody's saying that this year's Derby does not have much pace, and that normally means there will be a lot of pace. Um, so um, I, I love it when people say, oh, this race, this race is full of, of speedsters, and then none of them go to the lead. <laughs> and then when they say that um, there is no pace, it ends up being a fast Derby Uh I think I think there's more pace in here than people uh, suspect there will be. Uh, so I think that compromises verifying being in the number two hole. I'm not as bullish on him. And here I I was um, like I was going into the bluegrass. Um, so all that being said, I'm not a big fan of this year of the of the uh, Louisiana Derby uh, contenders. Um, I, I thought that race was a little funky, to be honest. Um, but, um, you know, uh, the hot horses, Mage, um, Mage had every opportunity to beat Forte in the Florida Derby and just couldn't get the job done. Um, I mean, I just, I'm not a big, the two, the media always jumps on a couple of horses Derby week. They have never run any good. Yeah, but so, I've been reading a uh, bunch of stuff about Mage's workouts uh, this week. Yeah. So Mage and Skinner are the two hot horses. Now that Skinner got into the Derby, everybody wants to talk about Skinner. And John Sheriffs is a great trainer. He does a great job. Horse may win by 20 lengths. But, um, you know, I got to be a little skeptical, you know, if he wasn't in the body of the Derby to begin with, you draw in. Now, I know Rich Strike won it last year, but there were a lot of things, one-offs about the Derby last year that uh, probably won't happen again for quite some time. But all that being said, uh, probably the six or seven I'm gonna use underneath are verifying to some degree. Hit show, I'm gonna use a lot. Tap it trice, I'm gonna use a lot. Um, Angel of Empire, that gives me four underneath. 
I'm probably going to use Rocket Can a little bit, although I think he has some distance limitations. But he's trained by Bill Mott, uh, who I think is the world of both uh, as a trainer and the way he conducts his business. And uh, they're putting the blinkers on Rocket Can for the first time, which I find is very interesting because I think the horse, uh, if he if he if is improved by blinkers, then I think the horse could hit the board. And, uh, and I think there'll be at some, some good odds as well. Um, and, um, you know, and that's probably about it for me. Um, um, you know, I doubt I use Mage. I doubt I use Skinner. Um, I tell you the other horse I am going to use is confidence game. And I'll tell you why I think the horse has some talent. Uh, but I, I the re the reason I, I, I'm a firm believer in, um, in, um, and just um, karma. And um, Kent DeZarmo's dad passed away this week. And it would be a really a tribute to um, he and his family if uh, this horse ran well. And I think the horse has got the talent to run well. And so I, I, if there's a really, if there's a horse I'm gonna root for, uh, I think it's gonna be, um, you know, it'd be, be kind of cool if this horse had the word angel in his name as opposed to angel of empire. But uh, confidence game is one I'm definitely going to use. And I think he's got talent. I think he's run well over the Churchill track. And um, but also I think he's got some karma working for him as well. All right. Um, before we let you go, give me give me one or two uh, of the, the, the Gene McLean locks of the day for some of the undercard races. That you like. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Dre, I haven't finished handicapping the cards. If you look, I've, I've done all the way through the Oaks Day cards. And, man, I mean, there's so many good races. I think on Oaks Day, they got six graded stakes. I mean, seven stakes altogether. And I think there's that many or more probably on Derby Day. I, I haven't gotten there yet. Um, you know, I, I there is a couple of horses. Um, I mean, they, the, the, the Oaks Day card is, good gosh, it's tough. and um, so I'd love to be able to tell you I've got one or two locks, but I I, I uh, haven't gotten finished yet, and I Gene, hope to do that by by the end of today. But I'm not I'm not there yet. I I, I think that means this is a good chance for you to uh, to shamelessly plug your website. You know, if you go, I do have all of my picks up and my handicapping link at www.thepressboxlts.com. You go to the handicapping link. All of them are up except for Derby. They will be up tonight, all of Derby Day, uh, plus my comments. Um, a good friend of mine uh, who I went to high school with uh, chastised me during Turfway because it, it was the one meet uh, during the year that I took a little time and I just gave picks and I didn't do my comments. So he, uh, he called me one day and uh, he said, you know, you know, he goes, uh, your picks without comments are like salsa without chips. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, and, and I thought about it for a second. It could have gotten, he could have gotten a lot worse on the analogy. So I decided that from now on, all this, every time there, you're, you're going to have the comments with the picks. So, did, did, um, you, did you make any money, any money betting Turfway? I, I gave up like halfway through the meet and said, screw this. I'm not, I'm not wasting any more money here. Cause it was, man, that was tough. It, my win percentage was down, but my, I tell you, I was able to hit a couple of pick fives that really, no, uh, no. if yeah, you could no. hit them, you got rewarded. 
And, and oh, yeah. Tapita's a tough deal. Uh, it's unlike uh, any other surface that I handicap in the year, and it's it's tough, buddy. And and so my percentage was off. I mean, it was, I, I don't think I, I finished the meet at 30%. And, uh, but I was able to hit a couple of pick fives that, that kind of righted the ship a little bit. And, um, um, you know, uh, it, it's funny now that I've done this for five or six, seven years, however long it's been, um, the meets that I have done the best are not um, some that you would, that I would have picked out. I mean, my best meet I've ever had was last year at Ellis Park. Uh, during the summer and um and i and i would have i would have never have guessed that going in and um but uh, i had a really good chemo meet this spring so i'm uh, off to a good start here at churchill i will say this i think the rate they right now they're getting off the rail they're they're running more in the stretch in the middle of the track um but it's the track will change i think dramatically now that you know they get several days of racing over it um, I think the speed uh, will will be calmed down just a little bit, but I think you've got to be in the stretch. You got to be four or five paths off the rail right now. But last question before I let you go. It, it looks like there will be some rain somewhere, whether it's during the racing yeah. or overnight. If the wet race is a little bit muddy on on Saturday, what's one horse that people might want to elevate a little bit that that you think would be advantaged by the by the track having some? Yeah, I think that I think that you get if it does rain on Friday, uh, wet paint becomes even bigger uh, a bigger favorite in my book. Uh, I think it's more likely to rain on Friday than Saturday, but if it does, I think wet paint moves way way up. Um, on Saturday, the horse I think that would probably prefer the wet going as much as any would be uh, Hit Show. Uh, he, he ran up in New York um, during uh, for the preps. Uh, the weather up there was not as good as it was in the South, and um, I just think that he would probably be the better of the uh, of the off track goers, and probably Angel of Empire may improve with a wet track as well. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, like I said, I, I think class uh, dictates uh, more than surface. I, obviously, there are certain horses that just love it um, a certain way. Uh, I don't discount that. But the, the horse that I think um, is the play of the day on Saturday is Forte. And, and because I think he'll be five to two or so. I got him in the winter. Uh, one of the winter books at Churchill's winter books is seven to one. Before that, I got him in. in uh, at 30 to one in Vegas. So, uh, you know, I, I just think if, I don't think there's any way he goes less than two to one. And I just think that he's by far the best horse in the field. I will say this. I think on Friday, Chad Brown has a huge, has a huge day. If they stay on the grass, um, he's got some really good horses that are, uh, being pointed, uh, for the grass races on both Friday and Saturday. Um, and, um, you know, uh, good night, Olivia is, is she, I think she's won six or seven in a row. Now she, she'll be a yeah. prohibited favorite. Uh, you know, that race is really, really good. Uh, I, you could, you could maybe get an upset, but she ran so big at Keeneland coming off the layoff. She, she looks pretty invincible and, you know, she won the Breeders' Cup so impressively. Um, you know, I, I find myself sometimes 
you know, you can't bet with them sometimes, but you'd hate to brood against them because they're so good for the game and the sport. And, and she falls into that category. Um, but there's some, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, there's some really good opportunities uh, in horses that, um, um, I've, like I said, I, I already know that I've got uh, Thurby's card and, and the Oaks card already posted. Today's card's already up there. So uh, go take a look. And I had a good winner too, yesterday uh, set me up good. I, my key play on uh, Tuesday went off at like four or five to one and, and the exacta paid pretty good. And uh, so uh, put some, it put some bullets in the chamber so we can play on uh, the rest of the week. Well, Jared, Jared, any questions for Gene before we go gamble ourselves? Uh, what's your <laughs> website address again for the views? I appreciate it. Uh, it's it's www.thepressboxlts.com. And, um, and go to the handicapping link, which is right there on the homepage. Um, and you'll go to a page full of, and each day is marked there. And uh, just click on those links and you'll get picks for the day. And uh, they're free of charge. Uh, nice. My daddy always said, well, you get what you pay for. And, uh, to, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, I, I enjoy it. Um, I have the, the great fortune of being uh to, uh, to work collaboratively with some of the racetracks in Kentucky. And uh, so they, they, they give me the opportunity to handicap and, and provide those as a uh, free service to the public. And, and, um, and so we, uh, we, we get to do what we enjoy. That's great. So uh, Gene's telling everybody, bet the kids college fund on wet paint and forte. Is that right? <laughs> Well, as long as they don't want to go to a really good institution. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Gene, they may not, they may not get the chance afterwards. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know we appreciate you, Gene. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you guys. And thanks for, uh, uh, all your good kind words for a little thoroughbred society. We're, we're very happy the way it turned out and we appreciate your membership and your, uh, um, coming and, and, and joining us from time to time. And, uh, uh, we, uh, we are very proud of what we've been able to accomplish there and not to say we don't have improvements on the way or things we want to, you make even better, but, uh, I do appreciate you guys uh, very, very much and, uh, come see us soon. All right. Thank you, Gene. And uh, as always, if you want to get more Kentucky Politics Weekly, you can follow us on uh, whatever po uh, podcasting platform you use. If you get us on app, uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a review and a rating. And we'll be back next week with a Derby wrap-up and uh, turning the home stretch to the governor's campaign on more Kentucky Politics Weekly.